Welcome back to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Pat Mears, who's the founder and owner of Rubik's Realty, a property management company between Newcastle and the Hunter Valley in Maitland. Pat uh, is an expert in property management. We have a chat to him about what a property manager actually does. He's got some great tips for property investors in how to manage their property. And he talks about the Newcastle market as well. If you can get past the fact that the audio sounds a little bit like I'm in a toilet, just with some studio issues, we've got some great content for you today. Without further ado, here's Pat. Pat Mears, thanks for joining us. No worries, thank you. So, um, Pat, just to kick things off, who are you and uh, what do you do? Uh, so, I'm a property manager. I own Rubik's Realty in Maitland and we look after investment properties for property investors. So, there'll be people listening that say, where on earth is Maitland? Can you give us a bit of a, a, a pin in the map? Yeah, sure. So, Maitland is in the Hunter Valley and it's about 40 minutes drive uh, from Newcastle and sort of, I guess, in the middle between Singleton and Newcastle. And I guess it's sort of in the middle of Newcastle and the wine region fairly well as well, which a lot of our Sydney investors will presumably frequent. Yeah, we're only about 20 to 30 minutes from the vineyards, so very handy. Now, um, just so we can get a bit uh, of dirt on you, what uh, posters did you have on the bedroom wall as a kid? I wasn't actually allowed to have any posters on the walls, so we just had... The blue um, tag ripped the paint off. Yeah, I remember I had a calendar, but that was on a hook, um, and a few <laughs> other things, um, but mainly photos, and I think the only poster in the house was the good old times tables on the back of the toilet door. Right, so if you could relive your childhood with, with a lot less uh, rules, who would, have, who would have made it on there? Um, I'd say it would have been probably bands or people from TV shows that I've watched and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So What bands were you into as a youngster? Oh, that's a long time ago, I don't remember. <laughs> I think it was back in the days where you used to get the Hottest 100 disc right. when it came out every few months. I'm, I'm, I'm trying hard to embarrass you. You're <laughs> deflecting really well. Excellent. So how did you get started in, in property and property investing? So as a kid, we, my mum and dad used to read a lot and my dad used to read a lot of property investment books and we may have an annual trip to the Gold Coast each year, so it was 10 hours in the car uh, with mum, dad and brother and sister. So we used to do a lot of reading in the car and you'd run out of books yourself, so you just pick up one of dad's and start reading. Mm-hmm. And I did work experience in year 10 where I had to go and work for someone else for a week to see what it was like and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And my dad said, why don't you go work at a real estate? because you're interested in property investing and I didn't actually realise at that stage, it would have been about 15, that real estate agents did more than just sell houses. I didn't realise that they actually managed the rental properties. So that's what I did and that's how I got started in real estate and haven't looked back. Here you are now. I am. Now, you've obviously came up through the ranks at at a few different property management firms before starting your own practice. Is there much of a difference when it comes to things like the systems and I'm presuming there is a difference when it comes to the service. Yeah, look, it, a lot of it comes down to the culture of the office you work in. So it depends whether it's a, I've worked in uh, offices that are sales focused and also worked in property management only businesses and there can sometimes be a bit of a divide between the sales people and the property management department, so an us first them. 
Um, but yeah, look, that culture definitely plays an important role. You need a supportive environment because it can be stressful at times because you are yeah. dealing with people and people's emotions. Um, there are different systems in place in different areas that you work. So I guess everywhere I've worked, I've picked up the good things that I liked and taken them with me. Yeah. I, last place I worked where I was an employee, I did a lot of changes for them in the first nine to 12 months. There was a lot of functions on the software that they used that they weren't utilizing right. just to try and streamline things. So I think streamlining is a good way to make good use of your time management skills in property management although things pop up and sometimes just because it's your in-office time to do admin yeah. um, sometimes you've got to make uh, the choice to go no I need to get this other thing sorted yeah. straight away but so. I guess if you're streamlining the back of house things that property investors generally don't see the more likely you are able to have time to to go and do the inspections or to have a, a communication yeah absolutely or yeah just make the time to be able to have that phone call with the owner and sometimes I like to have a, a big chat about what they're doing in their life apart from the property yeah. um, which is good because it helps you to get to know them as well yeah. so it gives you that extra time to do those little things that really make a difference yeah now you you mentioned that there's a bit of a I guess a, a turf war in a real estate practice between sales and property management I certainly back in the day remember calling real estate agents and they're press one for sales press two for property management Leicester a sales agent answer an annoying property management call because I'm, I'm guessing that the hierarchy has always typically been that the sales are the, the sort of the golden haired boys and girls and property management's just the, the thing that keeps us going along and I know that there are sales agents that refer to property managers um, of, a, of a different practice even though they have property management within their own agency um, that sounds quite shocking but I'm guessing that you see that quite a lot yeah, you do see a bit of it. I guess it comes down to the salesperson. They want to make sure that their client that they've just sold a property to is in good hands. And if they don't have that trust in their own property management department for who they work for, then they want to send it to someone else who they know will look after them. So I guess it depends on whether that salesperson views that one sale as a long-term relationship that could develop into further sales or purchases down the track or whether it's that sales being done, now on to the next one, yeah. so it does happen. And, and is, is property management a little bit devalued within a, a standard real estate practice? I, I noticed that there are obviously property management specialists now that there didn't seem to be 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah, um, absolutely, so it depends on, I guess the rent roll is really what the business is worth. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's seen as the bread and butter that pays all the bills and then the sales commission is the cream on top. Sure, yeah. Yet the reverse is sometimes true in an office where the salespeople um, are seen as the more important ones because obviously generally they might be bringing in more cash flow than what the property management department is, but the property management or the rent roll is actually more a a guaranteed sort of income like doesn't sort of jump up and down or spike like sales sometimes yeah. does yeah and that sounds like a great sort of business to me just a guaranteed you know fairly flat in income or you know you might be getting more business but um, yeah that sounds like a pretty crucial part to a real estate uh, agency one of our, our previous guests Christine Williams suggested that landlords make their property manager their best friend 
Um, I'm wondering if you can decipher exactly what she's getting at there and, and, and how important is that relationship to you really? I guess what she may be trying to say is you need someone that you trust, which you obviously if you've got a best friend, you do trust them. Yep. You want someone to be that you can ring up and have a chat to and really sort of nut out any problems you might be having with the property or it might be, I'm thinking of doing this or that. So I've got a client with a property in the Maitland area, but she lives down south and she'll often ring me for real estate advice about down south or wherever she's looking at buying. And it's not so much, do you think this is what it's worth or that? She'll often ask, I'm thinking of making this offer or that offer and what what do you think I should do? Or she has investment properties elsewhere and sometimes she'll ring me about those. Yeah. We sometimes have very little communication about the property we actually manage. Um, but I do have some really good relationships with some of my clients. For example, I had clients uh, come out and have lunch with me on Saturday and it was nothing to do with their investment properties. It was purely, hey, we want to come out and check the new house out and let's go for lunch while we're there. So they, you know, I know a lot about them and their family. So yeah, I guess you could say that um, the stronger relationship is, the easier the whole property relationships going to be yeah i guess property investors they want to buy a property and have it go up in value the rest of the stuff they hope goes very very smoothly but that relationship's the key to, to making that happen yeah definitely so so pat um i'm going to get up close and personal here you're, you're not the cheapest property manager around um should landlords select an agent based on price or have you got a good uh, sales pitch for me? No, look, uh, we're not the cheapest in our area. Uh, there's a lot of others who do charge the same fees as us, but there are others who want to charge less fees because that's the only value they see in themselves. If they can get cheaper fees, they'll sign up more properties and at the end of the day the more properties they've got to manage if they're doing it at cheaper rates there's less profit being made to the business and there's less money there to put another person on where maybe that business or that rent roll gets to a point where they're at stretching point we need to employ someone well because you've signed up at low fees we can't afford to put someone else on yet go out and get another 30 or 40 properties and then we'll talk about it so you i guess the cheaper the fees possibly the more properties that one property manager is looking after and the less time they're going to have for each individual client. Yeah. I'm being unfair to you because I know that you know that as a quantity surveyor we face the same problem of people finding uh, cheaper options out there but typically there's, there's only so much time that you can assign to a particular property and that comes down to what the fee is I guess um, and I know that there are agencies that have um, property managers with you know two and two hundred fifty properties. Um, what corners are they cutting? Um, I guess sometimes maybe we do hear stories of the routine inspections aren't being completed. They might just be telling the owner they've been done, and we might pick up a management from another agency. And the tenant will say, "Oh, this is the first inspection we've had in two years." Right. Yet the owner has been told that no, we've been. Going is that through. actually illegal in New South Wales? Is that yeah, like you've got to inspect minimum of once a year and you can inspect up to four times a year in New South Wales. So part of your agency agreement with the property investor is that you agree to inspect the property and it's set out in there what the terms are, whether it's one a year, two a year, three a year or four a year. Yeah. So that could be somewhere they're cutting corners, uh, not getting maintenance completed. So often um, we'll take on a new management from another agency 
and when we go there for routine first question we ask is are there any maintenance repairs that we need to look at and they often say well, what's the point in telling you nothing ever happens anyway and then we have the conversation with the owner who says I wasn't aware of that so I took over a property about seven years ago now and the I did the first inspection there and the tenant's mum was there and I said is there any repairs or maintenance and she said yeah none of the powerpoints work I said, oh, okay, so when did that stop working? He had power extension leads everywhere and she said they've never worked and he'd been there 18 months and the owner wasn't aware of that. Um, so we took over the property and the owner said, well, he needs PowerPoints, get it sorted out straight away. Yeah. So I guess maintenance inspections, not returning calls. So they, you might ring your property manager and it might be, say, early in the morning, either out on appointment and then you don't hear back from them either at all, yeah. or it might be you know a few days up to a week. So yeah, so you do get what you pay for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now you work with uh, landlords all the time, and for for over a, a decade. What what makes a good and a bad landlord from your perspective? So a good landlord, I guess that's the easier question to answer, sure. is someone who looks at it from. A bit of a distance so they obviously want to it looked after and all that sort of thing but at the same time they realize that people are paying rent to live there so they're not just paying rent for the address it's yeah. they're going to live there so there's going to be marks on walls wear and tear and that sort of thing someone who is prepared for things that might pop up so for example repairs like hot water system repairs and urgent repair that needs to be done and it's not cheap you're looking at anywhere from twelve hundred dollars up to replace yep. and often it'll be um, after hours or you know a weekend because the tenant's been at work during the week and doesn't realize until they get home that night or, mm. the, or on the weekend and that sort of thing that it's leaking and that's why they've had no hot water so someone who realizes that there are going to be repairs and maintenance along the way and they've got that buffer that you know cash fund for those sort of things that when they pop up someone who is not 100% relying on the rent coming in so what that means isn't they're okay with the tenant being late but more so if there's a vacancy so if one tenant moves out and there's a bit of a gap between the new tenant moving in they have got money there to cover their repayments and obligations yeah. if the tenant doesn't move in straight away that's your uh, that's your famed <coughs> what if fund yeah absolutely what if what if this happens have you got the money there to pay for it um, what if that happens so there are times where we're not going to hold enough rent to cover certain expenses so hot water system is a good example I guess or air conditioning so if there was an air conditioner that was working when a tenant moved in and then it blows up or it stops working it's got to be replaced because often these days replacement is cheaper than repair Um, and for an air conditioner for a split system you're looking anywhere from about two and a half thousand dollars up for supply and install and that's also classes and urgent repair now in New South Wales so and again Air conditioners, time of year they're going to break down. Is going to be on those forty plus degree days. Peak season when you know you can't get a tradie for love or money. Yeah, exactly. So, and in some of those cases where a repair is an urgent repair but can't be carried out straight away, so like you said, the tradies might be booked up because it's middle of summer. Everyone wants the air conditioners fixed or installed. You might have to compensate the tenant for a week or two or whatever it may be uh, because they've lost that service to the property. And what you're sort of renting the property with, that becomes sort of a, a contract of the rental itself, i.e. if a dishwasher breaks, but it was part of the, the tenancy at the beginning, 
you're, you're sort of obliged to replace that, am I right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I first started in real estate in the early 2000s, the, you were often doing an appraisal and you'd say, oh, there's a dishwasher. Yeah, but if it breaks down, we're not replacing it. Right. And you was, that was just disclosed to the tenant at the time of moving in. But these days, if it's there when the tenant inspects the property and moves in, because they're accepting the property in its current condition with the features that are there, then they have to be, you know, available for the full tenancy. Otherwise, again, we come back to that compensation clause. So yeah. dishwashers, old air conditioners, the old rattlers in the walls, yeah. um, if they break down, often we get an owner and say, I'm not repairing it, I'm not replacing it. But unfortunately, if it was there when the tenant signed up and moved in, yeah. it's got to be working for the duration of their tenancy. Yeah. You have to find a specialist in 1987 bonding air. Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So you've um, been working with property investors for, for a long time. I know you have a number of successful clients. Can you put your finger on what they're doing differently that makes them successful in property investing? Yeah, so I guess they they understand the cash flow and investment property. It's not going to be you know a continual line. There is going to be times when the rent's going to have to cover other things like rates or repairs. Um, they have the proper insurance in place, so they are ready if something again. What if if something happens? So we saw that in April superstorm a couple of years ago, where some owners had a property sitting vacant for a period of time because the tradies were that booked up, it could take months for them to get there and do anything. So if you've got the right insurance in place, then you, that's your, you know, your protection. Everyone has um, insurance on their cars, not because they think they're bad drivers, but because they, you, know, you don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah. So I don't understand why you wouldn't have the correct insurance on an investment property yeah. to make sure that you're covered in those circumstances that are going to pop up that you're not expecting. Of course. And we know that uh, something that pops up quite a lot on this podcast is that people become emotional about their property investments as well. I'm sure that's something that you see in your practice. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone remembers the property differently at the end of the tenancy agreement to what it was at the beginning. So sometimes a tenant will move out and you might ask them to go back and do a few things and their response might be, it was better than when I moved in. Now, a big thing we get is you might say to a tenant, oh, can you go back and clean those light shades? Well, no, I'm not going to clean those light shades because when we moved in, the bathroom was dirty, but we've cleaned it and it's clean now. So we've done that instead of cleaning light shades. But unfortunately, you've got to return it. So thanks for cleaning the bathroom, but the light shades... better than what it was, but the light shades are still terrible and they were clean when you moved. Yeah, exactly. So that's something that um, often comes up. But yeah, often it's the people who've moved out of a property... Uh, for whatever reason, they might have moved into their next home or they might have moved out of the area for work or something like that and they don't remember it how it being how it is now when they moved out 12 months earlier or whatever it may have been. So you've got to, I guess, understand that these tenants are paying rent to live there and there is going to be wear and tear and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. and not everyone's perfect. It's very rare that we'll do a final inspection and the tenant doesn't have to do anything. Yeah. Um, and often it's just simple things like light shades or ceiling fan blades and 
all those sort of things. Um, a big thing we get is filters on your air conditioner and dishwasher. Right. Often tenants and owners too, I guess, don't realise that... Present company accepts yeah. it, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> that there's a filter in a dishwasher. Yeah. Um, and when we do the final inspection, we often you know, pull the drawers out and pull out the filter and say, oh, that needs to be cleaned. And, oh, I didn't even know that was there. And, you know, they've been using the dishwasher for however long yeah. they've been there. Um, I'm going to straight home and, uh, and check that. <laughs> uh, air conditioner filters. Um, some people don't realise that they're there. Yeah. Um, they're really easy to clean things, um, but they're often just forgotten. And it is can be quite a stressful time moving. So there yeah. are going to be little things that you forget because you're probably trying to think about um, you know, you've got to go back to work next week after you finish moving and you've yeah. got to get this fixed at the new place and all that sort of thing and things get missed or you might have two or three people helping you and you think someone's doing this and they think you're doing that or the other person's doing it so things do get missed and we're quite understanding about that as long as they'll go back and rectify. Yeah. Now your your market, I guess, is sort of Newcastle and, and further west up towards um, the mining regions. We know that... Um, the, the property market in Newcastle is pretty pretty hot right now. I wanted to sort of have a chat to you about what's happening in the rental market in Newcastle, but specifically as a bit of a case study, we know there's been a mining downturn and you've had some exposure with properties. Can you start giving us an idea about what happened to, to property investments that were sort of in that area and had a fairly big reliance on, on the mining employees? Yeah, so I was working in Singleton for an agency not long before the mining downturn. Prior to that, we were getting ridiculous rents um, yeah. because people were paying them. The caravan parks were charging a fortune, so it made sense to you know spend an extra fifty to one hundred dollars a week to get an actual house rather than live in yeah. a caravan. Yeah. Um, so the market was really good. We didn't really have vacancies. You'd have a tenant move out Monday and the next one go in Tuesday or sometimes Monday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the mining downturn hit, and everyone, all the mining workers, often they weren't locals they they lived there while they worked there but the family home might have been somewhere else so in Sydney or even we had people moving from WA and that sort of thing so it was sort of a a fly in fly out situation so they just packed up their bags and went home and went to wherever the work was then so the vacancy went up and obviously then rent started to fall which uh, caused issue for a lot of people who'd bought in those areas because the rents or the returns were really good Um, but the the reason was because the mining was supporting those sort of rents so since then um, I haven't worked in Singleton for about four and a half years so I'm not really sure what the market's doing there I believe it's stabilized but not returned to the figures it was doing uh, Maitland has uh, net wasn't as affected as uh, Singleton was, but it was rents did come back down a little bit. Um, but in the, probably last eighteen months, we've noticed that the supply of vacant properties for rent has dropped compared to what we were looking at back then. So rents are starting to creep up a little bit again, but also that vacancy period is also yeah. shortening, which is good news for owners. Yeah. And is there a, a, an undersupply of, of rental accommodation in Newcastle? Last time I, I chatted to someone, which admittedly is probably a year or so ago, they were saying that there there, there probably were too many properties available for rent at, at that time. Has it tightened up a little bit, do you think? Um, from talking to other property managers in Newcastle, uh, it has tightened up since then, but I was speaking to one this morning and she said it was pretty quiet on the inquiry front, depending right. on what you've got for rent. 
but I don't think the vacancies are what were being experienced previously. So Yeah. So I mean we know that the sales market is, is, is going crazy and with a big percentage of that being investors, I guess there is a little bit more accommodation out there. Now Pat, um, as always, um, we want to get a bit of grit, we want some dirt. Um, can you tell us maybe some of your horror, horror stories or just funnier stories with dealing with, with tenants and landlords? Yeah, so uh, one that comes to mind was I had tenants vacate a property and they were both professionals and they left it up to us to get the property cleaned. Uh, so we had to use the bond to clean the property and do the lawns and guards and all that sort of thing. And we weren't sure if the bomb was going to be enough to cover those little extra things that you know pop up as you get the place cleaned and that sort of thing. So there were some items, shall we say, right. left behind at the property when the tenants vacated. Uh, they wouldn't fit in the garbage bin. The tenants, I'm not sure, maybe it didn't fit into their car. Uh, but I have a ute, so I went to the property and I put the items in the back of my car and I drove it to their new place and dropped off. Uh, the response I got from the tenant, I'm now questioning whether it was things that she just couldn't fit in her car or whether it was things she deliberately left there because right. they were junk. So, so you, you were sort of, uh, I guess, a council pickup um, for them. And I can imagine the look on their faces when here you are and you're you dropping it off to their new, new property. Yeah, they certainly weren't expecting it, I don't think. But... You know, you've got to do the right thing. If if you don't want it, you've got to get rid of it. So, yeah. I didn't want it at the property. My owner didn't want it at the property, and I wanted to give those tenants the last opportunity to decide whether they really wanted those items or not. <laughs> You're a nice guy. You, I you, am. Must, you must have left this behind this uh, this crappy outdoor furniture <laughs> that clearly you were dumping. But you know, each to their own. It's a different uh, different quality for each person, so they they could have really missed those items. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and the owner, uh, I understand, was 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 pretty happy that uh, you look after the tenant as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously, if we hadn't have taken that those items to the new place it would have been left for someone to pay the bill and if there wasn't enough bond money then um, the owner would have had to have pursued the tenant for that so in this case we ended up being able to uh, give a bit of a refund back to the tenant because the bond more than covered the cleaning and the tidying up of the yard etc so win-win no, so win, yes. <laughs> now um <clears throat> we've we've got plenty of, of stories i'm sure and we were chatting earlier about um, doctors being some of the the worst tenants but I, I want to sort of address the notion that often tenants sort of speak like they're second class citizens i mean in doing inspections for, for our business we, we we have tenants say to us oh, i'm only renting here because i'm building a house or I'm renting here, but I own some somewhere else. Um, there's, there's a bit of a notion that there should be an explanation as to why they're renting. Is that something that you see? And, and why do you think that is the case? Yeah, look, people rent for different reasons. So I know that some of our investors who live in Sydney, they're actually tenants in Sydney. They right. can't afford to buy where they live. So they invest in the property market elsewhere and they rent where they are. So we do find that sometimes tenants are viewed as uh, second-class uh, citizens, which is unfortunate because sometimes tenants actually look after a place better than an owner-occupier. Yeah. Some people are really house-proud and you wouldn't know if you drove in the street that was actually a rental property. So I guess it comes back to perception and maybe the stories you see on a current affair um, that sort of paintbrush people with yeah. um, the wrong sort of things. So. Um, 
we obviously don't view tenants as second class citizens because obviously that's how the owner has got into investing in property yeah. and that what that's what pays the uh, the bills and that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it must be a pervasive notion for tenants to still be sort of communicating that way. I, I certainly hope it changes. Um, and, and as you say, um, we, we've got investor clients that have large portfolios but they're, they're renting themselves for, for whatever reason. Um, I wanted to just also say, um, we'll ask the question, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a, I guess, a, a common sort of cheeky idea that you guys are just rent collectors. Um, there's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes for a property manager that people perhaps wouldn't understand and maybe that's part of the reason why you're sort of having to compete on, on price with people that are sort of cutting corners. Can you, can you give us a bit of a, a brief outline of, 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 of what goes into just managing a property? Yeah, sure. So I guess the owner's paying a fee for our uh, experience and knowledge of property management, but also the biggest factor I think would be time. And I think that you would find that that would be a big reason why a property investor uses a property manager because they don't have the time or they don't want to be getting the phone calls during the day about repairs and maintenance. So we organise repairs and maintenance. We do a full ingoing condition report when a tenant moves into a property. So that involves doing a written report as well as photographs. So it can take anywhere from an hour and a half. An hour to an hour and a half is usually a pretty quick one. Right. Um, and that might be a two bedroom, maybe a three bedroom unit. Um, anywhere up to two to three hours by the time you get the report all compiled together, get your photos sorted and, and, and do that sort of thing. We also prepare the paperwork and we run through the lease agreement with the tenant if they haven't signed one before or if they want us to just clarify anything in the agreement. So there's paperwork to be done. We then obviously get the tenant the keys and all that sort of thing and off they go. They then bring the condition report back and we run through that to pick up any maintenance or anything like that that we might not have picked up through doing a visual inspection. So sometimes they might notice things from living there, you know, doors might not align properly and that sort of thing. Um, we also do regular inspections of the property. So our inspections involve photographs and a written report. The reason for the photos is that often owners won't go through with you. so. It's good to be able to show them that you know this is what your property looks like now. Uh, yes, the tenant is taking good care of the property, and also I've got clients who have never inspected their properties. So I've never right. actually been to the Maitland area, so they don't right. even know what's around where their property is. So it's a good way to sort of show them what they've bought, what they're paying for. Yeah. Um, so I had an inspection last Thursday and the tenant commented that I was taking photos and she said, oh, before you go, get a photo of the backyard. I've started planting some roses in the garden and I know the owner who went through the previous inspection, he and I had a massive conversation about roses. And right. thing. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> so before I left, it was pouring down rain. I had to run outside and get a photo of the garden and I was talking to the owner after the inspection and that was the first thing he commented, oh wow, look at the rose garden she's planted. Right. So, you know, it, it sort of, I guess, made that tenant feel special because the owner did appreciate what she was doing yeah. and it shows, you know, I guess gives the owner confidence that you're a good tenant and that sort of thing. So, uh, again, they take anywhere from 15 minutes to half an hour. Yeah. Um, that's where we pick up any repairs or maintenance as well. So repairs and maintenance is a big factor then you've got 
the obviously rent collection part of it, uh, payments to owners, payments of uh, bills, so council rates, water rates, any maintenance and that sort of thing. And then obviously you've got the final inspection when the tenant vacates, which can be quite time consuming because you've, you're viewing it as a property manager and you might have you know, done another 40 final inspections over the last 12 months. Yeah. So sometimes you forget exactly what a property looked like at the beginning. So that's why I refer back to the photos and the written report. Yeah. And then you've got to go back to the tenant if they're not present for the final inspection and say, hey, can you go back and do this and this? Um, and then sometimes it gets into a negotiation where they don't want to do things or they say, I don't have time, can you just organise it and that sort of thing. So again, it comes back to time. We, a lot of our time yeah. is what the owner's paying for. Yeah, I mean, it's not just a sort of swapping their time for yours, is it? Because you're much more experienced in what you're doing. You understand the legislation um, for, for, for a property investor to source a tradesman to fix a, a problem. I'm sure you have tradesmen kicking your door in begging yep. for your work based <coughs> on your portfolio. So there, there's there's some extra efficiency that, that you can bring to it as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And sometimes an owner will say, well, that, that carpet needs to be replaced, but they're not entitled to the full replacement cost because of um, depreciation and that sort of thing. So, yeah. you know, a $500 piece of carpet they might only get $25 from because it's been depreciated over yep. X amount of time. So That's a very common question we get on the live chat on our website is property managers saying the tenant has put three holes in the vinyl, here's a picture, um, they have to pay to fix it, how much is it going to be? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, okay. We could do a whole other podcast on that. It's not, <laughs> it's not that simple a question to answer. It no. depends on the method, it depends on you know how old it was at the time. Um, but, but yeah, obviously that's a bit, big part of what you're doing as well. Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes we can go in and just say to an owner, look, it's the carpet's more than 10 years old, so unfortunately it's not worth anything. Yeah. Is that mark on the carpet going to affect the chances of someone else wanting to live there? Yeah. Um, and I guess it depends what it is. So I once had a mark that an owner was quite upset about and it was from a bed leg and she wanted to get her own carpet cleaner to go in there and try and clean the carpet to get this mark out and the owner uh, the owner's carpet cleaner rang me and said which bedroom was this mark in and i saw the second one off to the right and he said i'm looking and all i can see is this tiny little circular black mark and i said yes that's the mark that she wants pulled out and he said it's not going to come out and it was somewhere where someone's probably going to put their bed back again so yeah, yeah. it's only when the property is vacant that anyone's going to notice and then he drew my attention to the walk-in robe, which had uh, a lot of stains in it from makeup spills and all that sort of thing. Right. And I said, no, that was from the owner when she lived there. She's not worried about that. Right. Just this mark in the second bedroom. Yeah. That would have been an interesting conversation with the carpet cleaner. Oh, it was quite good that it was the owner's carpet cleaner because yeah. he then went back and said, oh, I can't do anything for you. Yeah. So Yeah, good. So uh, there's been a little bit of press about uh, rent bidding apps um, that's popped up in the last little while. Um, I'm guessing that the market is not such that you're, you're getting you know, you're, you know, an auctioning of, of property in terms of, of rental, but what, do, you, do you see that affecting the marketplace and, and, and is the ability to offer more for a property a, a good thing for a landlord? I guess what you've got to look at is is the applicant who's got the most money 
the best applicant for your property. So just because they are able to offer an extra $50 a week for the property, does that mean they're going to be extra better than another applicant for the property who can only afford to pay the asking price? You've still got to go through that processing of the applications, checking references, etc because if you don't do that, if you just take the highest bidder, it's a long-term relationship. It's not like you're selling the property and of course you're gonna take the highest offer. Yeah. It's about the best outcome for the property and for yourself as you're the investor. You've that person for, for years, whereas you sell a property, it's, it's, it's a done deal. Yeah, definitely. And another, it's very rare in the Maitland market that you get someone that'll offer more rent than what's being asked. You've got a question then, why are they offering more rent? Yeah. What you know, especially if you haven't got people beating the door down to move into that one particular property. Sometimes people will try to offer more rent if they've got a pet or something like that. Yeah. But then obviously you've then got to say, right, I will we've got to put that extra ten dollars a week towards, you know, flea treatment or something or damage that the dog might do because you can't take a pet bond in New South Wales. Right. So if you're taking extra rent Basically, that's your bond being paid off, yeah. I guess. So you've got to look at it. It's not extra rent for nothing. It's a security if something went wrong that, hey, you know, they're there for two years, so they'll pay an extra $10 a week to have the dog there. So there's that $1,000, yeah. I guess, to cover anything that the pet may do. So. And do you think that is to sort of throw you off the scent of maybe some problems with the reference checks as well? I know that you've, you've had some in the past, um, I think... An example would have been the, the private rental that we were chatting about. Um, what, what sort of things have you uncovered with your reference checks? Um, so we had a family apply for a property a couple of years ago and they were renting privately direct to the landlord for their current one and their previous one. And I referred to RP Data to you know cross-check the owner's name they'd given me with the one that was on council records mm -hmm. and it was a different name. Right. So I then rang their person and just was very evasive with questions. So instead of saying, do they pay X amount per week? I said, on what rent do they pay per week and how long have they been there? And some of the answers married up with what the tenant had put on their application, but some didn't. Right. And it also shows on RP data the last time the property was advertised for sale or for rent. And in both cases, their current one and their previous one had been advertised through a real estate. So I rang both real estates and was advised, don't rent to them, they don't pay their rent. And the first one said they've left owing damage and they still owe money to us. And right. the second one said we're expecting um, the bond not to cover everything that needs to be covered when they vacate. Right. So when I went back to those applicants and said, look, this is what I've uncovered, so unfortunately application is unsuccessful. Uh, they broke down in tears, said, oh, we just need a chance. And obviously they'd been given that chance twice and yeah, they've blown a couple it. of chances. Yeah. So yeah, you do uncover different things yeah. when you go through um, the processing of the applications. Yeah, which is so crucial to, to do when you're, you're, you're giving over a property that, you know, and, and we, I guess we, we reference an extra $50 a week as, as someone may be bidding for a spot and it's probably most likely less than that. The amount of damage that a tenant can do in a, in a week or in, in six months, uh, it, it pales in comparison to that difference, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely it can, yeah. You don't know how people live uh, in between inspections. You just assume that how you're seeing it on the day of the inspection is how they live normally. Yeah. But I would expect that most people would put that little bit extra effort in when the real estate's coming through. So they might usually keep it 
quite meticulous, but yeah. the real estate's coming and they might put that little bit of extra through. And then other people, they're, you know, they might not be that tidy or clean, but hey, the real estate's coming through. Let's make them think that we live really clean. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess damage is the most expensive thing. Clean, you can fix cleaning, but yeah. damage costs a lot of money to get fixed. I've done a few inspections just when we're doing depreciation schedules with a property manager who's doing a condition report or whatever, and some places are absolutely filthy, and you wonder, have they tidied it up? Does it actually work? Does it actually look worse than this when they leave? Or they just kind of don't care? I guess everyone has a different idea of cleanliness. Stand- <coughs> yeah, standards definitely vary. Even Standards even vary from cleaner to cleaner. Right. So with um, the invention of Gumtree, uh, often we'll get a tenant who will organise their own cleaner and they'll get it done through someone on Gumtree that they found and sometimes not always but sometimes the reason that that cleaner wasn't two three hundred dollars cheaper than who we've suggested yeah. is because they don't do a job same job or to the same standards what our cleaner does yeah. and with our cleaner if there's anything missed we just get them to go back so yeah. that's an advantage of using the real estate's cleaner because then you can say well hey it was your cleaner you chase them and and go from there. Yeah, so. and I mean, you've got a, a long relationship with them. They have to sort of do right by you. I've noticed that there's a lot of companies that tend to sort of employ very young people. Typically, they're female, and a common complaint is there's a lot, a lot of turnover. Is this something that that you see in the property management field, and and, and why do you think the reason is for that? Yeah, look, it is um, a big turnover in property management, and I think the average. Uh, time spent in property management is about two and a half to three years. So property management isn't for everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you don't do well with conflict, then you may not uh, be able to survive the job because there is obviously going to be conflict from time to time with different people having different views of things or different emotions and that sort of thing. So I guess sometimes when you go through and do an inspection, say, I need you to clean this, that or the other, in their head it might they might have spent you know they might have done a really good job but it's just not where you want it and that can you know evoke emotions that you don't necessarily want um and so i guess that's something that causes people to get out of the job lack of support from their boss or the environment that they're working in could also lead them to go well i'm I'm not going to do this, this isn't what I want to do. Or back to the fee-cutting agents where they'll drop their fees to get the property, in which case the property manager ends up managing more properties than they can possibly handle because the agency at that turnover can't afford to employ any support staff for them. So that can be reasons why there is a high turnover in property management. I guess the reason for the age it's some an industry where you probably want to bring people in and train them how you want them to sure. do things. So if you get them young before they've gone and worked anywhere else, or they might pick up bad habits, I guess you can sort of mould them how you want. Yeah. But again, I guess young people, they might not have that many responsibilities. So it might be, you know, they go to a party on the weekend and one of their friends says, I'm going to Europe for, you know, two, three months. Yeah. Oh. I've got some money saved. I might do that. So there's not that, yeah. you know, strong commitment to the job, especially if it's a, a thankless job. They might be like, hey, yeah. who wouldn't want to go to Europe rather than go to work yeah. to a job that you hate? Yeah. So I'm glad my office door is, is shut. We're, we're live with Pat today because I don't want the, the staff hearing this, but I completely agree with you. I'd be there if I could. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So 
I think that's the reason they employ young staff. And I guess it comes down to um, wages as well. They're obviously cheaper than someone who's got the experience. But yeah, I think culture in the office and support um, play a big role as well. Now I jotted down a couple of questions before the interview and that was one of them. The next one was that your practice takes a different view. I've, I've now realised that I've met the lovely ladies in the office and it's going to be awkward to, to sort of not describe them as young, but I think it's fair to say that they're not in their early 20s. No. So, you, so you're taking a different approach with your office and, 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 and not hiring people that are that, are that young necessarily. What, what, what's the reason for that? Um, have I insulted <laughs> No, no. So I guess it comes down to maturity. So you've got to have someone who has a bit of life experience and they can handle uh, certain situations that might flare up from time to time. Uh, they maybe had experience with property investing themselves yeah. um, or they've had experience in the job so they you know I've got Sharon who's been doing it for I think 16 17 years Uh, so she's obviously um, outstripped that two and a half three year turnover and uh, Tanya had worked prior somewhere else for a few years uh, before she came and worked for us so she had the experience as well but I've been doing property management for about 14 years now and there's still things that I come across situations that I've never had before and that could be due to changing legislation or again you're dealing with people and people act differently they're not they're not you know robots they're not going to act in a certain way because that's what you expect and sometimes you might go oh well I thought this was going to go that way and it's actually going a different direction that I'm not haven't dealt with before I don't know the best way to deal with is for the best outcome for everyone involved so I guess that was part of the reason to put uh, mature people yeah. on was yeah the experience and that they've got that understanding of they can relate to different people that come across different personalities in their lifetime yeah. so they know that not everyone's going to be the same yeah and the dividends I guess of that is that once you get a client you're, you're not likely to lose them yeah that's right I guess someone who is entrusting a four five hundred thousand dollar investment with someone who's uh, only young, 19, 20, yeah. um, they're gonna constantly question, if something goes wrong, they're gonna question the age. Whereas if you've got someone who's more mature, then they're possibly gonna be a bit more comfortable with entrusting that with them. That said, I started in property management at 16. So yeah. it's, um, you know, and, and there would be people that would obviously, a lot of it's dealt with over the phone or the email, and they would come into the office when I was, you know, my late teens, early 20s and go, oh you're young <laughs> and they were just fooled I guess yeah. or not fooled but um, they didn't realize how young I was through uh, conversation over the phone or communication via email yeah. so that was like a big like oh oh it's you like, yeah. I didn't realize that so sadly it sort of reminds me that I used to get that I don't <laughs> look so young anymore so I guess you're saying that there can be guns in any industry that, that are young and that age isn't necessarily the way that you should select someone but age tends to come with experience they may have had prior experience in property or property investors themselves which is an important consideration I mean would, would you hazard a guess as to how many what percentage of property managers would be property investors I'd imagine if the average you know age is in the low 20s it would be a fairly low percentage yeah I'd imagine it'd be quite low um, I think two You've got, I know of other property managers who don't own investment properties because 
they wouldn't be able to handle someone else managing the property for them right. um, because it wouldn't be done how they would want or right. that would be their perception. So I have heard uh, property in, uh, managers say they invest in other things because they couldn't cope with you know having a property in another state and a situation arising and they're not being able to be there to yeah. sort it out. <laughs> so there's different... I think sometimes it could turn someone off actually taking the plunge into investment mm. themselves. So just to, to give you a bit, a bit of a chance to, to bash on your drum, Pat, what, what makes you different to, to other property managers, either yourself or, or your practice? What, what's your sort of point of difference? So we do property management only, so we don't have sales. So we don't, we're not building a rent roll uh, to be able to support a sales team so that they can contact our investors and say, hey, the market's gone up, let's sell. We also look at other things. So how, how can we, we don't negotiate our fees, but how can we make this investment perform better for an owner? Yep. So we are looking at building long-term relationships. So we communicate quite a lot with our owners. Obviously different owners require different um, methods of communication or they require different amounts of communication. So some owners, it's a set and forget thing, only contact me if you need to, whereas others yep. want to know what's happening and that sort of thing. How are the roses? how are the roses going um and i guess to we look at things like depreciation we we understand how that sort of works to a certain degree and the importance of it to an owner because it means that it's more money back in their pocket and also again insurances like really being strong and advising them to take out the correct policy so we look i guess i would in my opinion we look at it from a bigger picture so it's not just about the rent from the property or what it's going to be worth when it comes time to sell but how do we make this journey a smoother one for the client so get those different things in place ready to go and it's quite interesting to see how many investors don't know about tax depreciation all that sort of thing how it works um, and what is a deduction and what's a capital improvement and all those sort of things Um, so it's those little things that we we try to um, educate ourselves on understanding investment property, I guess, from an investor's point of view rather than from how it's going to affect us as a property manager. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm, I don't want to be bashing on about uh, tax depreciation. Obviously, <laughs> that's my specialty, but I'm interested to, to interview people sort of outside of that space. But that's just, I guess, one component of an investment property. So a good property manager, I'm guessing, is... is acts a bit more like a commercial sort of portfolio manager rather than this uh, this uncomplimentary rent collection term, <laughs> yeah, rent collector yeah. term that, that I hit you with earlier. Pat, um, how do people get in touch with yourself? Yep, so we've got uh, an office in East Maitland where they can drop in to us and, and have a chat. Uh, they can contact us via email, via Facebook page, um, and we've all got mobile phones, so awesome. we're quite contactable, um, depending on what time of the day or night it is. Um, so yeah, so there's uh, different avenues that we can get people in contact with us. Beautiful. And just before we go, if there's one piece of advice that you could impart to property investors, what would that be? Organise a body fund for those things that pop up, because it will take the stress off when those things do or if they do occur because obviously things do wear out um, and you're better off to have some money in reserve ready than to try and scrounge and find it so I guess it's better to have you know 
put $20, $30 at the side each week rather than get to the critical point and go, well, where am I going to pull this from? Yeah, I think that's awesome advice. Thanks very much, Pat. Appreciate it. No worries. Thank you.